the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Okay, we will be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's start from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Alright. In these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabu stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Alright. The disciples, somebody say, each according to his ability. Now, please take note of that word, each, because I'll be using it. Each, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. All right. So, that's, that is the context. There was a famine, and then the famine had been prophesied and became a reality. And then when it became a reality, it became necessary that they gather funds and support the, the churches that were suffering. In that context, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Let's look at that again. Now, regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, that was the time of the challenge. In Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brethren, brothers, sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Somebody say the grace. Say the grace. The Bible said, in a midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty well up in rich generosity. Now, it's, it's almost like a paradox. People are going through trial. You hear people saying the economy is tough. That is the time people will not give. That's what the Bible is talking about here. These guys were going through tough times. They themselves were not different from challenges and affliction compared to that of the church of Jerusalem. But the Bible says the grace of God enabled them to do that which was naturally impossible to do. He said, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Somebody said they gave. As much as they were and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Verse 4, he says, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the lost people. They literally were begging to be part of this service. They said they pleaded urgently. Paul said, you guys are broke, you should not worry yourself. But he said they pushed their way to be part of it. Go to verse number 5. He said, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we ate Titus, just as 
he had made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Verse 7, let's read it together. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Somebody say, excel in this grace of giving. When you become a believer, there are things you must seek to excel in. A Christian must excel in his relationships. A Christian must not be a difficult person to get along with. A Christian must not be a complicated person. You must excel in your love work. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, he said, Be therefore imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. We have to excel in our love work. We have to also excel in prayer. The Bible says, watch and pray that you fall not into temptation. So there are different areas in our Christian work where we are called to excel. But one important area where God demands excellence from us is in the area of generosity and giving. Somebody say, excel in giving. Okay, Paul is exhorting them and he says, you have to excel in generosity. To excel means to be super to be good at something, to become better and sharp at something. That's what Paul was talking about. Excel in giving. I'm going to continue a series I began a year ago, Understanding Giving as an Opportunity. This is series two, part one. Understanding Giving as Opportunity. A lot is said about giving in scripture. A lot is said in the Bible about giving. One time I was listening to a preacher And he was talking about how he doesn't like to talk about money. And when I heard that, it made him look different from Jesus for me. Because Jesus talked about money a lot. The parables of Jesus, 60% of them had to do with finance. You pick up your Bible, there are 2,000 references about money. 500 of them in reference to prayer, about 300 of them on faith. So when you look at the subject of money, it's so foundational in the life of a believer. And I realize that one of the reasons why it's so important, and when you talk about money, people become edgy, is because that is the thing that is competing with God for your heart. The Bible says no one can serve two masters. You either bow down to one or you would allow the one to take over. No one can serve two masters. And Jesus was talking in the context of money. He wasn't talking about you are serving either God or Satan. He was talking about the God of mammon. Give me Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Let's start from 23 or so. No one can serve two masters. Somebody say no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, and or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and you cannot serve God and it is either God is taking your place or mammon is taking your place. And when people find it difficult to give, one of the challenges they have is the fact that money is still their God. Somebody say money is their God. Yeah, money is their God. And when money becomes your God, you want to protect it. You want to protect it at all costs. One of the things that we see in the New Testament about money, among many things, is the fact that giving is an opportunity. Somebody say giving is an opportunity. Yeah, giving is a very important opportunity God gives unto all of us. 
You cannot excel at a subject until you understand it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't excel at a subject. Until you understand it. Yeah, there are some people who think that when they give, then God will let them avert calamity. No, God's love has already made you averted calamity. There are people who think that they give so that uh, curses will be averted over their lives. In the Old Testament, people gave and curses were averted. And it's true to some extent, but that is not the primary motivation for giving. There are people who actually give just because they want to avert a curse. Some people tithe because they fear that if they don't tithe, they will be cursed. God, through Christ, has brought us into a dispensation of blessing. And when we understand that we have been so blessed in God, we respond to that blessing by giving. Praise God. I get what I'm talking about. So I don't give to avoid or avert a curse. I give because God has been too kind and gracious unto me. Can somebody say an amen? Amen. All right. This is what scripture says. Good understanding gives favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now, this scripture is context. Context is that he was talking about giving your relationship with your shepherd, with your pastor, and all of that. But he was talking specifically about giving. And I'll come to it later on in the course of the series. Let him who is taught in the word communicate, share with him who teaches in all good things. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he also will reap. So in other words, the relationship is such that as you invest spiritually, you invest materially, financially, you also gain return spiritually. And he goes on to verse 8. He said, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Go to verse now. And let us not grow weary in well-doing. What is the well-doing he's talking about? In giving and generosity. Then he said, For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Verse 10. He said, Therefore as we have. Somebody say, Therefore as we have. Let us do good unto all men. Let us, we have opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially to those who are of the household. When Paul talks about the Macedonian churches, he's talking about three groups of churches. He's talking about the church of Philippi. And you know Philippians. That was a unique church among all the churches. He's talking about the church of Philippi. He's talking about the church of Thessalonica. And he's talking about the church of Berea. Now, these three churches constituted the churches of Macedonia. Look at Philippi in particular. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renew your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. This is Paul again coming back to the word opportunity. He said, you guys were concerned, but you had no opportunity. And as we read further, we'll come to understand that the opportunity we was talking about was not an opportunity for prayer. It was an opportunity to give. Look at verse 11. He says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance is. 
Look at verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether we're fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13. I can do all through Christ who gives me strength. Go to verse 14. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. It was the troubles, he says, that they were concerned about. He said, you are concerned about my troubles, but you didn't have opportunity. But now, you are going to get an opportunity. Go to verse number 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and matter of giving and Except you only. There is a subject called matter of giving and receiving. Now go to verse number 16. Let's do the verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me eight more than once when I was in need. Verse 17. Not that I desire a gift. What I desire is that more will be credited to your account. How will more be credited to your account? Paul says... If I rob you the opportunity to give, you can't get more credit to your account. Go to verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and I have more enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epiphanitis the gift you sent, they are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. Then he says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. There are two main opportunities giving gives you. Two truths we must note about giving as an opportunity. Number one, the fact that giving under the new covenant is an opportunity for all. Somebody says it's an opportunity for all. Giving is an opportunity for all. Nobody is ever to be exempted from giving. That's what scripture says. Nobody must be exempted from giving. I mean, there are people who sometimes talk like, oh, and uh, we receive offerings from poor people and all of those things. They simply don't understand scripture. You see, when your mind is not renewed to be consistent with what the word of God says, you flow with the thinking patterns of the world. And strangely, that is the one we are warned not to pattern our minds after. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The same thing. Transform means metamorphose or to change. Conform means to be in line, to flow with, to flow along. That's what he says. Giving under the new covenant is an opportunity for all. Look at Acts chapter 11 verse 27 to 29. Okay, so when the prophet Agabus came and gave that declaration I read to you earlier, the Bible says in verse 29, then the disciples, somebody said then the disciples, a few of them, some of them, the rich among them, the working class among them. The Bible said, then each of them, according to his ability. This is a very important word. When it comes to giving, this is one important word. We give according to our ability. You see, a lot of debate goes on about tithing. And it's largely uh, done by people who are ignorant, who don't love God, and who love money, and are greedy. Praise God. That's it. When it comes to giving under the new covenant, it's true. Clear percentages are not given. But what God expects of us under the new covenant is way higher than what we are doing. He said, each one according to his several ability. 
You see, when somebody earns a salary of 10,000 Ghana cities and he gives 10%, and somebody earns 2,000 and he gives 10%, who is more generous? 2,000 is more generous. You see, you give according to your ability. 2,000 and 10,000, who has more? Which one is a greater ability? If you debate God about tithing, it's simply because you are greedy. You don't love him. Praise God. Yeah. 10,000. You see, when, when you are giving to God, it's not what you give to him that he looks at. What you keep for yourself. When it comes to giving to God, it's not what you give to him that he looks at. He looks at what you keep to yourself. Because then he, he begins to estimate whether he's of greater value to you or you are of greater value to yourself. Praise God. No, you go to uh, the book of Luke. When he sat down and they were giving the offering, everybody came. They gave, they gave, they gave, they gave, they gave. Rich people, the Bible said, out of their abundance, they gave. Then a widow came. And the Bible said she gave all her livelihood and Jesus singled her out. He said, I want to teach you people about giving today. And this is the woman I'm going to use. All of you, you gave uh, some, something that looks uh, like much. But I know all of your account balances. What you have given, you still have so much to live on. But this woman has nothing to live on. And this is the kind of giving I expect. When you mature in God and you grow in your love for God, one of the things increasingly you begin to lose value for is money. And when you lose value for money, God can entrust you with more. Because if I know that you don't value money to the extent that you will steal it and hoard it, I'll give it to you. I'm not complicating here. But if I know that if I give it to you, I may lose you. I'm always measured in how much I can give you. That's what the Bible said. If you have been faithful in the righteous mammon, who shall commit to you true riches? Then the disciples eat according to his several ability. So there's a time where we give according to our ability and there's a time we go beyond our ability. He said, determined to send relief to the brethren in Jerusalem. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 to 10. I want scripture to speak to you. I was preaching in an AG church this week and I was telling them that one of the things that I don't know to do is to teach out principles. If I find a principle and I cannot get it rooted in scripture, I drop it. Paul said, I came not to you with the excellency of speech, declaring unto you that your faith will stand in the wisdom of men and not the wisdom of God. He said, now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches in Galatia, so you must do. What are you supposed to do? Verse 2. He said, on the first day of the week, let each, somebody say each, let each of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Lay it aside as you are prospered. So based on what God has given you in a week, what God has given you in a month, what God has given you, that's what you give. That is why a serious Christian cannot wake up and say, I'm going to church, but I have no offering today. It's irresponsibility. It's lack of seriousness with your faith. So your offering is not something you wake up on Sunday morning looking for change for. Your offering is something you have already planned and prepared for. That's a Christian. Even if I stay out of church for one month, my offering for the month will still be there. Because every month that offering is laid aside. And every service, I pick it and I bring it. I'm not complicating here. That's what Paul is talking here. I saw this a long time ago. I was a student. I was not a pastor then. He said, let him lay aside. Lay aside. 
So even when I was in the uni, and I didn't have somebody to be bringing me money as it were, every time uh, I had money, my offering was always set aside. My offering has progressively increased since uh, the church was in the school up to this level now. In every service, lay aside. You earn whatever you earn. At the end of a month, you give whatever tithe you give. Beyond that, you set aside your offering. So if it is 50 CDs, it's lay aside. If you lay 50 CDs, four of them aside. If Sunday service, you give 50 CDs, lay them aside. How much is that? That's 200 CDs. Your offering is laid aside. So when you wake up and you are going to church, it's a delight because you are already prepared. I'm not communicating here. But when you are not serious with your faith, you can wake up and you ask your sister, today, please, can I get uh, uh, one Ghana for offering? You see, you are not serious with your faith. Yeah. Paul said, let them lay as God has prospered you. God has prospered you. So what, what you can do is maybe five Ghana, 20 Ghana. You lay it aside. You lay it aside. Awaiting for further instructions. Praise God. Now go on. He says, let each. My, my emphasis here really is on let each. Somebody say let each. Okay, come to 2 Corinthians chapter six, 9, verse 6 to 7. This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He says, but so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. As he purposes in his what? So we are not to tell you give this, but purpose in your heart decide to give. And don't forget that whatever you decide to give, that's how God is going to reward you for. So there are people who are regimented, they have decided 10%, even though they can give like 50 or 20%. 10%! God says, don't forget, I'll get you 10% across to you. Most people jump at New Testament and they think that the New Testament makes life easy. No. New Testament actually makes you love God more. It pushes you beyond the law. Right now, Let's decide. Let's say that there's no usher here. Okay? You came to this church, there's no usher here. That's where you will know whether you are organized or you are not organized. If you came to church and we allow you to sit anywhere, you'll be shocked. Some people will come and sit on the altar. <laughs> Am I complicating it? Yeah, you just come and sit on the altar. Some of you just come and sit on the pastor's chair. You are so disorganized. So, what I'm trying to say is that when there is no law, that's when you know what people are really made of. When there's no law, and you see, God decided to take away the law. We are not under the law. We are under grace. So we can love him for him to know whether we mean he means much to us at all. Am I communicating here? When the Bible says we are not under the law, we are under grace. That's what he's trying to do. That's why when you come to live in this life and you are living in that life, God can do anything and amazing things with your life. I stopped giving 10% almost five years ago. Because I realized that it's a matter of my decision. And I have not gone down doing that. I have not gone down doing that. By the grace of God, I started this church. And I know where I was when I started the church. And I know where God has progressively brought me. I know how much I used to give when the church was very small and we were in the school day. In a Sunday offering and in a Wednesday offering. I know how much I give today. He says, for God. So let it give. Somebody say, let it give. As he purposes in his heart, not gradually or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the first point I want you to know is that giving is an opportunity for all. Somebody say, for an opportunity for all. 
Let's see how Jesus did it. When he was taking offerings from people, Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Somebody say many who were rich. rich. Uh So Jesus maybe sat down and maybe through his, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, CCTV camera because he could see anything and know everything. He could see what was in the heart of people. See, so everybody, <laughs> and people were dropping it, dropping it. And when you drop it, he just checked their balance. <laughs> then the widow came. Now listen, you see, widows in the times of Jesus were very, very, very uh, mobile people. Pitiful people. Because you see, during the era of Jesus, marriage was, was not just out of love. Marriage was done for economic reasons. You married so you could get someone to take care of you. That, that was a vital part of it. So when you became a widow, your breadwinner is gone. Your life has come to an end. And I'm, I'm surprised to see that Jesus is taking offering and he knows all of this. That widows are one of the poorest people in society and Jesus still took offering from them. Because that opportunity must be given to all. The Bible said men who were rich. So you could have said, oh, I know all of you who can give a lot here. Uh, Let's set this widow aside. Because you see, giving is not about money. Giving is about your heart. Giving is about your nature. Giving is about a reflection of the grace of God that you have received. That is what giving is about. When you limit giving to money, you have limited the thing. It's more than money. It's a hard condition. When your heart is yielded, your time, you give. Your treasure is easy to give. When your heart is yielded. So that's what Jesus did. Again, one day a woman came and wanted to do something for Jesus. Massive. Then Judas began to redirect attention. John chapter 12, verse 3 to 8. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spark night, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with oil. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 dinara and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. So rather than pour it on Jesus, bring it into my custody. I will take it, go sell it, and then I will see the money. And he had a money box and he used to take what was put in it. This is Judas. So Judas did not become Judas in a day. You know, he sold Jesus because of money. When you love money, the things you can do. He said, let him alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me, you do not have. Here Jesus was making us see the fact that giving was an opportunity. And this woman has come at a strategic time. He's about to go. And this woman sees the opportunity to do something amazing. This woman was not an Asante or a, a, a kind person who was waiting for an elaborate funeral for Jesus after he was dead. He said, whatever precious thing I have, let me give it to him while he's alive. Don't wait for people to die before you celebrate them. Okay. Any good thing you have to say about me, tell me why I'm alive. Don't let me die and then on my funeral you come and say because really sometimes those things they really don't make make much meaning because the person you are speaking about he's not there to hear and appreciate because when you are praised for your good virtues you replicate it you want to do more of it 
When people say your generosity is making a difference from their lives, you want to do more of it. When people say your kindness is making a difference for their life, you want to do more of it. When people say I teach and they are blessed, I want to do more of it. When you are, your mind is not renewed, when you allow culture to frame your thinking, I'm not saying it's bad to give tribute. When we give tribute, we are also using it in a way to inspire others to learn from the good virtues of other people. But the person himself must benefit from what you are saying. Any good thing you want to do for a person, do it while the person is alive. Treat your wife well. Treat your husband well. Treat your mother well. Don't wait for her to die and say, my mother, my mother. Most of the time, when we lose what we have, the real value of what we have begins to dawn on us. I pray that it will not be too late. Jesus said, this woman came at a strategic time. And don't rob her of that opportunity. That's what Jesus was talking about there. And look at Apostle Paul. You read all his letters. There was not an occasion where Paul said sorry. But he said sorry only for one reason. Listen, teaching about money is not teaching about your pocket. It's teaching about your character. And there are attitudes that when you have, you go far in life. Your attitude towards God, your attitude towards people, your attitude towards money. I'm going to talk about all of those, a number of those things. It is very foundational that we correct this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5 to 10. It said, I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. This is Apostle Paul. He's defending his apostleship. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. You may not have every gift, but thank God for what you have. People used to criticize Paul that he is not a gifted speaker. He doesn't know how to speak. But he knew how to write. And he alone wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Those who spoke and could speak better, today we don't know where they are. Apostle Peter, who could speak you to heaven and hell? That man wrote how many uh, pages altogether? But the one who could not speak, but could write, he wrote so much. And what he wrote has formed the basis for the church today. Then he says, we have made this clear to you in every possible way. Look at verse 7. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything returned? This is Paul. I robbed, take note of the word, I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. Do you know that the gospel can never come to people without a cost? The cost. There's always a cost for the gospel. Our salvation came at the cost of Christ. The salvation of others will come at the cost of our own sacrifice. And unfortunately, we live in a generation of Christians who have benefited from the sacrifice of Christ, but are not willing to make sacrifices for others to benefit. A true Christian follows Christ, not in singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. No, you follow him in a sacrifice. You follow him in his love. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, he said, Be ye therefore imitators of me as dear children, and follow me in my love, and follow me in my sacrifice. That's what the Bible is talking about here. Am I communicating here to, I told somebody? This is Paul. He says that I took contribution from other people so I could minister to you. I was your pastor, but I didn't depend on you. You didn't give me any support. It was rather other churches from Macedonia who used to give me support. And I accepted that to 
preach for you and to be a blessing to you. And later on, this man is going to speak. When I was with you, I didn't have enough to live on. Look at this. I was a boy. I did not become a financial burden to anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia. Why? How was his financial problem solved? By other churches from Macedonia. And do you know that it was also in Macedonia that he said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. That did not apply to the Corinthian church because they were not part of those God used to supply all his needs. He says, this is what happened. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, they brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you and I will never be. They had an attitude. He knew them. That these people were money lovers. And these people will use the offering they will give as an excuse not to come to church. So Paul said, when I come to church, we will not receive offering. Paul will come to the Corinthian church and there is no offering. All through the service, he will just preach, minister to them. Healings will break forth and there is no offering. And he did that consistently. And because he knew their attitude. But listen, later on, he regretted that attitude. Let me show you. He said, as surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. When you are a preacher, there is your natural disposition and there is a scriptural expectation of a preacher. There is what you do. Paul had a challenge. <laughs> he wanted to protect his pride by all means. Because, you know, when you come to church and you stand there and say, let's give offering. And you see the way media people now talk now. See, these poor people and you are collecting their money. They have a way of knocking guilt on the mind of the preacher. So eventually, there are people who even decide that, okay, we are not going to talk about money. And there are some pastors who have gotten the, the, this thing that they don't talk about money. If you are under a minister, you are in a ministry, they don't talk about money. They don't care about your uh, financial well-being. They don't care about your financial because your financial well-being is not tied to your work. Your financial well-being is tied to kingdom laws and principles. Am I communicating here? It's not tied to your work. It's tied to your obedience and your commitment to applying kingdom principles to the things you do. This is Paul. Paul said, I am very, very sorry for this. Look at this. Look at verse 11. Let's go to 11, 12. Why? Because I don't love you. God knows I do. This is Paul. <laughs> He said, but I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who despise themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, this was in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Chapter 12, verse 13. He was begging for apology for that act. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. He said, the only thing I failed to do, which... I do in other churches was to become a financial burden to you. In other words, any church apostle Paul went, he received offering there. But when he came to the church of Corinth, he said, I'm not going to do it. He said, that was the only thing I failed to do. I mean, reading it in this context, <laughs> because I read his last, his last uh, testimony. When apostle Paul was about to go to uh, his last journey, which was the last for them. He called the churches of the leaders of Ephesus. And so he said, I have not shown, I have not uh, failed to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. But here I'm seeing that there was a, an aspect of the counsel of God. The man could not do it. Praise the Lord. He said, please forgive me for this wrong. What was the wrong? The wrong was that he denied them an opportunity to give. That's Paul. That's what he said. 
He denied them. So don't be happy in church when you stay in church and you will hardly get special opportunities and privileges to give. We want to raise a church that is excited when they hear a call to give because that is the call of the Christian life. When you, call, you say, I have decided to follow Jesus, you are simply saying, I have decided to give up my life for his life. But you know why people cannot stay away from sin and they continue to live in sin as a lifestyle and they enjoy it. They have given their heart for God, but they want to keep their body. They've given their heart. My heart is for the Lord. I'm saved. My spirit is saved. My body is for myself. There was a doctrine like that in those days. Apostle John spoke against it. Where they said, your spirit, your body did not matter. What you did with your spirit was what was important. And they used to preach that. But you see, when you read the book of Romans, after your spirit is saved, he tells you what to do with your body. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. He said, now therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the message of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices. I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Now, if you gave your body, won't your pocket go with it? If you look at the uh, Macedonian church, their giving was so beautiful, and I will show you. Paul said, forgive me for this wrong. Look at, let me read uh, it, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, from the CEV version. He said, you missed only one blessing that the other churches received. May we not miss this blessing. Amen. You missed only one the other churches, what was that blessing? That is, you didn't have to support me. Forgive me for doing you wrong. Forgive me for doing you Forgive me for doing you So when you go to a church and you don't give, they are doing you wrong. Now, giving affords us the opportunity to give in two dimensions. Two dimensions. Number one is vertically to God through the church. We give to God through the church. We give to God through the church. That's the first dimension. Giving affords us the opportunity to give to God, to, to vertically to God through the church. And most scriptural laws are in two dimensions. There's a horizontal, there's a vertical, and there's a horizontal. When the vertical works, the horizontal works. He said, uh, if a man loves God, he will love his brother. That's it. The vertical is working, the horizontal works. When you honor God, you honor man. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four has to do with our relationship with God. The last six has to do with our relationship with man. He says, if you are going to offer your gift to the Lord and you remember you have something against your brother, go back and fix it. So when the vertical is in place, the horizontal usually is also in place. Our giving first starts with God. Somebody say it starts with God. Do you know that before the Macedonian church gave... To the needy brothers in Jerusalem, the first thing they did was to give their hearts to the Lord. Psalm 96, verse 8 to 9. This is what the Bible says. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Give to the Lord the glory due. Bring an offering and come into his... Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. This is coming to understand that offering is an integral part of your worship. Somebody say offering. It's an integral part of my worship. Yeah, that's what it is. Jesus said, come, worship the Lord in the beauty of his uh, holiness. Take an offering and come before his court. In the book of Proverbs 3, 9, it says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruit of all thy increase. And a lot of confusion. Uh, how do we give to God? How does God receive it? God receives what you give to him through the church. 
When we give to church, we are giving to God. When we give to the church, we are giving to God. How do I say that? Because Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body. Praise God. If you give shoe to my body, that shoe will affect my head. Am I communicating? Because wherever my feet will take me in your shoe, my head is going there. Am I communicating here? The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22, he said he had put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Verse 22, verse 23, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. Look at that, to the church, which is what? The church is what? His body. That is why I tell people, be careful how you treat people in church. Praise God. Be careful. And be careful what you do in church. Be careful. Because, you see, there are things we will not imagine doing to God. And we do it to Christians. We do it to Christians. Imagine Jesus was sitting here. There are things you can't imagine doing against him. And you do it to a Christian. The moment you do that, you are doing it to Christ himself. That's it. The church is his body. And then we give horizontally to man. Somebody say we give horizontally to man. That's what we see in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. He said, therefore, as we have opportunity, we have opportunity to give to God through our worship. And then as we have opportunity, let us go to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Somebody say household of faith. So one, we have to do good to God by giving to advances cause, giving to support the work of the ministry. And we have to give to men who are in the household of faith. So let's start from the household of faith. I tell people all the time, listen, it is hypocritical. I think it was my last quote, but maybe let me start this session of the session with it. Listen, it is carnal and hypocritical to prioritize the needs of poor unbelievers above poor Christians. He says, it is carnal and hypocritical to prioritize the needs of poor unbelievers above poor Christians. Galatians 6 verse 10. So then as occasion and opportunity open up to us, let us do good morally to all people, not only being useful and profitable to them, but also doing what is for their spiritual good and advantage. Be mindful to be a blessing, especially to those of the household of faith, those who belong to God's family with you. The believers, so clear, you can't get it wrong. That means that if you bought some shoe and it's uh, bigger than you and you are, give, you are looking for somebody to give it to, you don't take it to your workplace and look for somebody there. You bring it to church and say, anybody here who can wear this nice shoe, that's where your giving starts from. Your giving starts from the church. One time I was speaking to one of our young professionals here and he was telling me about what they do in Freemasons. It's not one. He was just telling me because he, he, he relates with people who understand this, that the brother, you know they call it the brotherhood. The brotherhood, you don't understand what the brotherhood means. Freemasons, <laughs> what they do for the brotherhood, they will not do for their blood brother. From a, they say. They, they, you see, these guys are not born again, but they have understood the spiritual context. <laughs> yeah. What they do for the brotherhood. And that's how Christ, you see, the blood of Christ is thicker than natural blood. That's why I can flow with a white person. I can flow with a, a, a Togolese. I can flow with anybody. And there's no challenge. I'm not communicating here. When we understand this, there's no limitation the way we can go. 
When you are going to look for a wife, you are thinking about my tribe. I want to marry Anakan. I want to marry Anashanti. You see, you have not understood the covenant relationship we are in. And I want people all the time. Among Ashantis, there are diabolical ones. Among Ewes, there are diabolical ones. There are Asante to Asante wives that are, they are Asante man, Asante woman. They are fighting every day. Ewe to uh, Ewe woman, they are fighting every day. Frafra to Frafra man, they are fighting every day. And yet, there are Frafra and Asantis who are married and they are enjoying it peacefully. Why? Because the principle is not in the tribe. What makes marriage work is not in the tribe. It's in the knowledge of Christ that is at work in you. When you come to understand who Christ is and you begin to manifest his nature and character, you can live with anyone. And I'm by extension telling you, some of us, we were raised in families that have been told, don't marry an away. And you grew up with it. And you met an away girl you really loved. But because of your father who is still alive, you didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't get to see your dream come to pass. And now you are married. And you are also feeding into that same. You see, sometimes it's sad. The same things that we resented, we grow up and we want to manifest the same thing. Very, very sad. So, so, so sad. sad. And that, that tells you how strong tradition is. I had a marriage uh, incident that really broke my heart. A dickness of a major church fighting, resisting the son strongly against marrying a, a gang girl he loves passionately. He, he, I met him, he told me, almost crying, young man. He told me, Pastor, whatever you can do to my mother, I will be very grateful. What else can I do if the word of God has not been able to work on her? What can I do? How persuasive can my language be? The Holy Spirit is in this woman. He speaks in tongues all over. Melko woman leader. This woman all over and she's resistant. What can I do? I say you better go and pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation for your mother. You see, revelation is stronger than tradition. The number one prayer I pray for members of this house is that your eyes will be open to what the spirit of God is saying. Because no matter what is happening, no matter what I say, I can speak and bleed and bleed and bleed and fall down and die. If you lack revelation, you will still not walk in it. But when revelation hits your spirit, it changes everything. Okay, so on the horizontal level, there are three groups of people we need to give to. Three groups of people. Number one, your pastor or teacher who feeds you with the word of God. That's number one. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teacher sharing all good things with them. That's where it starts from. Okay, so that is where it starts from. The Bible said, if you are planted, the seed of the word in you will qualify for the seed of material returns from you. Look at First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Amplified Version. He says, let the elders who perform the duties of their office well be considered worthy of double honor and of adequate financial support, especially those who labor faithfully in preaching and faithfully preaching and what? Number two is your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Say, my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yeah. Don't be carrying Christmas wrapper and looking for people to give it to outside church. When people in church are looking for something to uh, spend for Christmas. Am I communicating here? If you do that, you are a hypocrite. You see, when it comes to giving to people, Jesus warned against hypocrisy. The only place Jesus said that our giving should not be seen is when we are doing it among people who don't value it. 
And some people, I don't know where they cut that mindset from. Uh, when you are giving, nobody has to see. I don't need, I can't, I can't have a tight record book because nobody must see what I give. Who taught you that? He says when you are giving to outsiders, you see people who are giving food to widows and it's on Facebook. That is an eyesore. That's not Christian. And our brothers in, in, in some major tele-evangelists in the West, they do that a lot. They will take poor people, malnourished people, and they will put them on TV. UNICEF must take action because that's child abuse. You can, you can show it to Christians to encourage them to give, but to bring it on global television, that's why they, they, you know unbelievers mock us a lot. And some of the things is because we do them. We want to show off to see how pe- pe- generous we are. Among ourselves, we should be able to give to challenge one another. In fact, the whole context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul actually used the giving of the Macedonian churches to challenge the Corinthian Christians. That's what he, he was telling them that these people gave. So see how they have given and be challenged by it. When an altar call or an offering is raised and somebody steps up, don't say, hey, and go for it. Let it be challenged to you. Let it be a challenge to you. Let it be a challenge to you. The highest offering I have ever given in check, in one check to God, it was after I had a message where a man of God told me, he said he gave a million dollars to God. I said, no, I must do something I have never done before. I heard him say it. So giving is not a private, among Christians, giving is not a private something. It's our lifestyle. How can you be hiding your lifestyle? It's our lifestyle. That's our identity. Come to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. He said, let us exhort one another and provoke one another unto love and good works. When we come to church, we come, when you see a brother praying, higher by higher by higher by in church, stop acting funny and go home and say, ah, this one, they are shouting, shouting like this. Me in his private life, he doesn't even pray. When you come, you should come, leave church and say, ah, may the Lord give me grace. Father, give me grace so I can stand on my feet and pray and move like this brother. That's a Christian. That's somebody who wants to grow in God. Not somebody who will just go and criticize. You are not a Christian. You are not a serious Christian. And that mindset will keep you perpetually poor. You see, be challenged by good things. The Bible said, it is good to be zealously affected in good things. So when you see somebody recite scripture, let it inspire you. That inspired you. How did I get to come to the knowledge of scripture and cram scripture? When I went to the university, I saw a brother. He's come to preach here before. Uh, Pastor Felix Agbodeka. Pastor Felix could recite scripture like crazy. He would quote and quote and quote. I say, hey, help me. Learn. Watch people and learn from them. That's, that's, that's what church is about, oh. That's what church is about. Church is about learning with a community of believers. We learn better in relationships than we do in just uh, being taught. Am I communicating here? May the Lord bless you. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. 
Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarters church from 8.30am to 11am for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6pm to 8pm. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santata Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. Oh, no, no, no.